With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you can find options that fit your budget. Because giving you options is the right thing to do. Oh, yeah, like when I hold the door for someone. Sure, it may be weird if I don't time it right, and they're a little too far away, and now they're running. And we're both asking ourselves, is it worth it to run instead of just, you know, letting them open their own door? But still, it's the right thing to do. So get options based on your needs with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Kumail Nanjiani. On Marvel, Star Wars, and going dramatic with Welcome to Chippendales. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz, and welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, yes, a great conversation with a funny, smart dude, Mr. Kumail Nanjiani. That is the main event on today's show, and uh, you're going to get your money's worth. We're going to nerd out. You're going to talk. You're going to hear us talking about his great dramatic turn in Welcome to Chippendales, and um, yeah, it, it's a good one. Taped live at 92NY in New York City. But before we get to that, let me just update you quickly on the other adventures in in Josh Horowitz's Happy, Sad, Confused Land. Um, I have returned from London slash Pandora <laughs> for the world premiere of Avatar The Way of Water. Um, the world and you are probably about to see it. It's about to open. Uh, you may have heard the buzz, which is all true. It is freaking awesome. <laughs> James Cameron has delivered again. I just think he puts other filmmakers to shame. No one does it like James Cameron. It, it's we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about this one for in the weeks and months to come. But suffice it to say, I have seen it twice. Yeah, you can hate me. And um, man, this one was worth the wait. Uh, as was this uh, trip to, to London, which was a big sol- full circle moment for me. I was there in London 13 years ago for the premiere of the first film. Did a ton with that cast and Cameron. And to get to see them all again... 13 years later was just a a really satisfying experience. Um, I do have an interview with Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldana dropping um, on MTV's platforms this Friday. Also this Friday, a podcast, a bonus podcast this week will be dropping with Kate Winslet. Kate frickin' Winslet, guys. First time guest on Happy, Sad, Confused. One of the best actors on the planet. And she is a straight shooter, folks. It is just fantastic to uh, reminisce with her about her collaborations with Cameron, of course, a lot on Titanic, actually, and much more. Um, You guys are going to love that one. That was just a a big bucket list conversation for me. Um, And maybe more to come on the Avatar front. I am working some other angles, some other folks. Stay tuned. Um, We have a couple big events coming up in New York City before the end of the year I want to mention. December 16th, Friday night, James Corden... Yeah, James Corden, late night talk show host James Corden, entering his final year uh, of hosting The Late Late Show, is going to be joining me. I've never done a big conversation with him. I met him once on a red carpet. He couldn't have been lovelier to me. Um, I'm really excited for this one. He is acting in the new series, Mammals. So we're going to talk about his acting, the talk show, everything. Um, If you want tickets for that, the link and all the information is in the show notes. And then next week on December 19th, man, we are ending this year on a big note, maybe my last big conversation of the year. It's a good one. Daniel Craig, guys. Daniel Craig is going to be on the stage at 92NY for a career conversation. We're going to screen Glass Onion on the big screen beforehand, uh, which is a treat in and of itself. Uh, I will say tickets have been going really fast for this one. I think this one is going to sell out. 
Um, but there are some seats available. So get in on that. That is going to be a big, high-energy night, um, which I am so stoked for. So James Corden, Daniel Craig, all the info in the show notes. Um, as always, please subscribe to the YouTube page, youtube.com slash Josh Horowitz. You can watch my Kumail conversation there. You can subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And of course, if you want the early access to all the podcasts, all the videos, the discount codes, all the good stuff, uh, go, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash happy, sad, confused. Okay, let's get to the main event. So this is a conversation with Kumail Nanjiani, who, of course, I don't have to sell you on. The guy can do it all. He has had such an amazing career. Uh, he was on the podcast five years ago, and to see where he's gone in those five years is remarkable. Um, Academy Award nominated for The Big Sick. Of course, Silicon Valley, an amazing stand-up career. And then in recent years, Eternals, Star Wars, and now in his biggest departure yet, this great new limited series on Hulu, Welcome to Chippendales. It is a dark, sordid tale about the founding of the Chippendales nightclubs. Um, and it's a Kumail you've never seen before. This is not affable fun, Kumail. This is a dark, true crime story. Don't read the Wikipedia entry. Be surprised. Go in knowing as little as possible. But uh, enjoy it. There are a bunch of episodes already out. I've watched the whole series, and I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, this is a great chat, though. Um, I always love talking to Kumail. He is a like-minded movie uh, nerd, genre nerd, so he is easy to chat with and um, obviously just one of the funniest dudes around. So um, I'm going to take you live <laughs> back when it was live on the stage of 92NY. Uh, enjoy this conversation between me and Kumail Nanjiani. Hi, thank you, thank you. How's everyone doing, individually, one at a time? Uh, welcome. Thank you. thank you for coming. Yes, thank you, guys. Welcome to a live edition of Happy Second Fuse. We love doing these live at 92NY. Uh, last time you were on the podcast, Kumail, it was my dingy little office, so we're trying to spruce it up a little bit. Give some love. You've done a great job. I mean, this is a gorgeous space. Thank you. This I, is your office you now? You like what I did with the place? Yeah. Which way does your desk face? There <laughs> or there? I like to face this way so yeah. I can see nothing. Um, I do need to get my Vigo the Carpathian poster in this space, though. <laughs> I miss it. I miss it terribly. Um, sadly, Kumail did not agree to do the Chippendales dance on the way out. We, I thought we agreed to that. Well, my parents are here, so... He's Please. telling the truth, guys. His parents are here. Let's yeah. give it up for Kumail Nanjiani's parents. No, we... we oh. <laughs> was that the secret word to yeah. get the lights working? Yes. <laughs> Kumail Nanjiani's parents was the password? Yeah, and it never works in other contexts with other guests, but no. finally it works today. Right. Chris Evans was like, why are you talking about his parents? <laughs> um, I did have the unique privilege of witnessing a back and forth. I don't want to reveal secrets, but you did just talk to your parents about this show. I don't know if you've talked to them a lot since they've seen the show. Is it a little nerve-wracking? Because this is a different, darker Kumail than they're used to seeing. Yeah. Well, well I mean, they've seen a lot of different sides of Kumail. Oh, sure. On screen. They were there day one. <laughs> um, so they've seen all of it um yeah my you know it was very sweet they love the show they watch it as soon as it comes out so when i was i was telling my parents like today's thursday you know i was like i don't know if you've seen episode four they're like oh we've seen it they see it as soon as it comes out it's very sweet and my mom told me she's like i just have a hard time watching you going through difficulty so it's like 
Very, I, it's, and I was like, <laughs> I'll strap in, it gets worse. <laughs> um, but I, I just love that they, that they watch the show and love it. So thank you. Thank you for watching it. And even though it's maybe not something that they would have watched if I wasn't in it. Right, right. Who would think that a show set in the 80s in a strip club would be sordid at all, that there would be darkness to it? You would think right. that would just be sweetness all around, right? Right, right. No, <laughs> no closets, no, no skeletons in those closets. Exactly. Um, but, okay, let, let's get one of the narratives out of the way, because I think, like, myself, I was victim to this. A lot of people were, were victim to this. When they heard that you were in a Chippendale show, they're like, okay, let's put two and two together. We know Kumail's now in this crazy shape, Chippendale's. But you went the other way. In this. Yeah, I decided to be the only one not taking my clothes off. <laughs> so there's no, just to spoil it, I've seen the entire show. It's great. Uh, episode four, there's no like dream sequence where Steve is suddenly buff. That's no. not coming. Actually, Rob, the creator, is here. And for a while, right at the end, there was going to be a dream sequence where Steve like, like dances on, on the Chippendale stage. Oh, really? I fought it. <laughs> <laughs> but we've seen your dance moves in Eternals. You've got it. Yeah, I think that's enough for everybody. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, think, I think that's more than enough. I don't think anybody wants more of that. No, I focus grouped it in the Horowitz family. We all need it. Oh, yeah? yeah. Horowitzes are on board? Yeah, or the Nanjianis are thrilled I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, Steve, as, as this audience can tell, for those that have been watching the show, he is, he's kind of a miserable guy. He's not, he's not comfortable in his own skin. He's not happy with his life. He's seeking the American dream and all, he's making every wrong choice imaginable. Um, why are you subjecting yourself to this headspace for what, six months I would imagine of shooting? Yeah, it was a long time. Well, I wanna ask how many people was that the first time that you watched that episode? Okay, so okay. for a lot of people. Uh, great, I'm glad we showed the first episode. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Please keep watching it because it really, thank there you. There we go, yeah. It really gets more and more intense as it goes, you know. Um, I just never gotten to play a character like this, you know. Um, I, I get to play, listen, I have a very charmed life. I get to play like fun, funny characters, you know, like in Eternals, that job. I had a great time. That was a very easy job for me. I just had to, sh everyone else was crying and screaming at the heavens. And I was like, just shooting things from my fingers. Yeah. It was amazing. And you've literally been studying for that your entire life. My like entire life, since I was a little kid, I was preparing to be in Eternals, really was. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's it's, it's been really, really fun. But when this came along, I was, honestly, I was like, you know, first of all, I want to thank Rob, uh, Rob Siegel, the creator of this show, who, who thought that I could do this. You know, I, I don't get these opportunities. And he was like, I think you can do this. So him having confidence in me made me want to do it. My favorite shows aren't comedies. My favorite shows are like very dark things. Right. Like, you know, I think a lot about, um, you know, Breaking Bad is one of my favorite shows, one of everybody's favorite shows. And I was like, if I get a chance to do my own version of Breaking Bad in eight episodes instead of, you know, uh, however many seasons they did, I was like, I can't pass it up. And genuinely, one of my heroes is Robin Williams. You know, my parents can attest to that. Since I was a kid, I watched the Popeye movie over and over. <laughs> I did. I watched everything, Mrs. Doubtfire, everything. Sure. 
And then later in his career, he started expanding and doing these really dark characters. One hour photo, insomnia, come Amazing on. Amazing yeah. performances, yeah. right? Yeah. And you wouldn't believe that that same like, guy would, would be able to do that. So I was like, I owe it to myself to at least try and follow in the footsteps of the people who've inspired me. So I was like, I have to try and do it. And the, plus the story was just too cool, too interesting, too, 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 too unpredictable for me to not try and do it. I, I resisted everything I could to not read like the Wikipedia entry as I started watching the show. So you didn't. I, I you didn't. didn't so I, please, if don't read the Wikipedia entry. <laughs> don't do that. Just go. My mom's already Googled it. She told me sitting in there because I was like, it's gonna get worse. She's like, I went on Google. Uh, <laughs> um, so please, please, just or, or if you do, it's fine. But you know. Uh, uh, it's, I think it's fun to watch it and f- see uh, see it happen as the show sort of unfolds. So, okay, how much of this kind of challenge, this this I would argue the biggest challenge of your acting career, is is proving to yourself you can do it, and how much of it is proving to others that you can do it? Wow, what a question! Oh my God! Um, I mean, I don't know if I can differentiate those two. <laughs> I'll tell you, I've been doing a solid press tour for five weeks, and nobody's asked me that. I, fi- I finally out to Terry Gross. She made you cry, but I broke your brain. I can't believe she didn't take that out. <laughs> That's in there? Yeah, it's in there. Okay. God damn it. You know, I always feel, like, honestly, it was that, you know, that, that Emily and Rob and Jenny and all the other writers thought that I could do it made me believe I could do it. And then at some point, when I started the filming, I didn't know for sure. I was like, I have to jump in the, into the pool and just see what happens. Yeah. And I knew, you know, the, so, the stories get more intense as, as the season goes, and Steve, my character, sort of gets darker as it goes. So I knew that the water was going to be raised slowly. So I was like, I just want to be able to do these first two episodes. Right. And then once those were done, I was like, I just want to be able to do the next two. And I figured that the scripts would kind of carry me through. But there was a certain point where it did become like, okay, I know I can do this. I can finish out this season. I'm excited to do this. And then part of it is, you know, I, I do want other people to see me in a different light because it, it, you can, you know, for like many, many years, I just played a nerd. I had to like work work out like a maniac for two years to be to get the opportunity to play a normal guy <laughs> to, like go like, to the extreme not like just like no a little bit like go to the other end i had to go to the other end to be like okay now i guess you can play a family man that's what it took <laughs> to like unglue my fingers from a keyboard right. that's what it took um, so I was excited for people to see it, you know, I, and I do want to prove to, I, part of it is, I do want to prove to other people that, that I can, I, uh, you know, do stuff that they may not be able to uh, imagine me doing. That is kind of the exciting part of it, you know. I think the whole thing that's most exciting about acting is surprising yourself, yeah. micro and macro level. Like, in every take, you want to do something where you're like, oh, I didn't think that was going to happen, bless you. Um, like that. <laughs> it's in the See moment. That? Always in the moment. Always in the moment. You've got to react, you know. <laughs> that's what acting is. Um, but it is startling to look. You're talking about, like, these two major shifts that you've done in the last five, six years, obviously, kind of remaking yourself and, and becoming this kind of leading man uh, person in Big Sick, but then transforming your body for Eternals, et cetera, and now this. Um, it does feel like you're, 
I don't know, you're setting a very high bar for yourself in transformations. You can't keep up. You can't. First on, on the trans. I'm playing a horse in the next one. Oh, amazing. I'm joking. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm joking. <laughs> Would you want to do at the next Avatar? I just saw Avatar. I know you're jealous being a nerd like me. Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it on Monday. Exactly. I'm so <laughs> excited. I cannot wait. Would you do performance capture? Is that intriguing? I would, definitely. I've done some video game performance capture. Okay. I wouldn't do that again because um, it kind of ruined those games for me. <laughs> Now were, you're just seeing people like yourself with balls on their head. When yeah, and I and mostly like, you know, if I, if I, I'll watch a movie I'm in, but that's like two hours. I'll watch a show that's sure. 40 minutes a week. But if I'm playing a video game that's 50 hours, that's a long time to spend with yourself. While, to like, I play video games to get away from myself. Right. <laughs> right. And now suddenly this orc fucking sounds like me too. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nightmare. Um, I also found that video game acting is a specific skill, and there are many, many other people much better than me at it, and, and I think that they deserve that work and not me. Here's what my, my passing thought when you were talk, we were talking about kind of the evolving career. I listened back to our conversation. The last time I did the podcast was 2017 when The Big Sick was uh, out, and it feels like you manifested everything that's happened in the last five years. It's, I'm sure it wasn't just on, in our conversation, but you talked about wanting to do an action movie, Stuber came. You part, wanted to play a superhero, Eternals came. You talked about wanting to be in Star Wars, Obi-Wan came. Did I really? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> what else did I say in that interview? <laughs> I want to start preparing. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess my, my question is like, is that how your brain operates? Do you, are you goal-driven? Are you like right now beyond playing a horse setting the next goals for yourself? Since I was a little kid, yeah. when I first rode a horse, I was like, I wish someone was riding me. That's, that's, a, that's a weird way to put it. Wait a second. It's, it's weird that you mentioned the horse. I noticed on IMDb, the one trivia... It says that you're afraid of horses. Yeah, that's not, that's r not really true. I'm only <laughs> as afraid of horses as every rational human being is afraid of horses. It's like a car that has a brain. <laughs> They're horrifying. Um, you know, I used to. Honestly, that's sort of, I would say, what happened with Eternals, where I was like, I sort of set a goal for myself a couple of years before Eternals happened, where I was like, I want to play a superhero. So I'm going to do everything I can to put myself in a position to be able to do that. So I'd gotten a couple opportunities to audition for other parts in Marvel movies and stuff, not playing superheroes, and I didn't do those auditions because I was like, I want to put myself in the best position to be able to do this. I have to bet on myself. And were those the kind of roles that I would expect, like, the, the wise-cracking person in the lab or the side, like that kind yeah, of Yeah, it's like, the guy that Captain America goes to to be like, I don't know how to use a computer. And right. don't worry, Kumail's got you. I got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what all these buttons do. Um, and so for a while, I really was like that. And honestly, now, um, what I'm trying to do is honestly not be as goal-oriented. Just sort of try and be like, more in the moment and see what comes my way and see what feels more most exciting to me in the moment. I think sometimes like looking forward too much or like trying to get something prevents you from being here right now. Um, and Emily's back there going, what a bunch of horse shit. You're not, <laughs> you're not so good at being here. Yeah. But I'm trying, honey. I'm trying. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to do more is just sort of be more present and be like, whatever comes my way, comes my way. That would be great. Um, I don't think it's a big spoiler to say. I think later in the show, 
you cry in an episode. Have, is this your first time crying on screen? Yeah, I think so. Was that is that is that a big deal for an actor? Was it a big deal for you to like know that day I'm gonna have to well, incredibly cry? Um, that's that's a good question. Uh, for me, you know, I I sort of read a lot of I listened to a lot of podcasts with actors act, actors I look up to and heard them talk about emotional scenes a lot. Um, there's an actor called Chuck Woody Iwuji who's one of the best actors. He's going to be, you know, he's, he's, he's the bad guy in Guardians 3 coming up. He's just a really tremendous actor. He was in Peacemaker. And he said the same thing to me, which is what you have to do, like if, you're, if there's a scene where you're like, oh, you have to cry, don't think of it like that. You can't say, I have to cry in this scene. You just have to be present and see what happens. Take away the obligation to hit any emotional anything in a scene. All you have to do is be truthful and present. Because um, sometimes, you know, when you're sad, you start laughing. Like, weird stuff happens. And, um, and so in those scenes, you know, that, that scene where I cry, this is weird to talk about, um, I, I didn't really plan on doing it. I didn't really feel like I, I, I was going to do it, whatever. But there was one scene in particular with my mom when I'm on the phone with her where whenever I read that scene, I would start getting emotional. And so every single scene on the show, other than two scenes, every single scene, I really prepare the scenes. I work on them a lot. I work on them with my acting teacher. I, I rehearse. I know all the beats. And then when I go there, I try and forget it all and just look at the person, react to them, and, and just see what happens, right? But that scene, anytime I read it, I got so emotional that I, was, I decided I would not prepare that scene at all. And I would just go and just do it and see what happens. And when I got to set that day, when I got to the makeup trailer, I was reading the scene and I was getting really emotional just reading the scene. I don't know what was happening. So much so that I couldn't memorize the words because every time I looked at it, I would get emotional. I didn't want to spend that emotion. So I went to the director, who's Nisha Ganatra, who's amazing. She does episodes... Um, five and six, and I asked the other actor, I was like, is it okay if we get my coverage first, get me on camera first? Because I, I don't know if I can control this, whatever happens. Um, and so that's what we did. It just sort of, it just sort of happened, you know. Uh, it took a couple takes just to get the words right, because even memorizing the words was too emotional for me. Um, so it's a long answer, but, no, but, but really it's, I, I just try and take the obligation away to feel anything during a scene and hope hope that whatever happens is real. And that's a scene, again, without revealing too much about trying to find approval from your parents, and yeah. Steve is just going the wrong path. He cannot do it. And I was going to ask a lot of questions about your growing up and your parents, and maybe it's more or less awkward now having your parents here. It's more awkward. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. But, sorry, it was, it's, on the, it's on the card. I have to ask it. But, no, I mean, I mean is that something you relate to? Was, it, is, was that something that you felt you were, in growing up, you were seeking approval of your parents desperately, and were they eager to give that approval, or was that something took a while to kind of get to? Um, I would say I was eager to seek approval of my parents, but they were also not stingy with approval. Like, genuinely, even if they weren't here, I would be saying this. I truly had, like, they were, like, absolutely wonderful, perfect, very loving parents, um, they really, they know, um, I'm getting emotional again. Um, but still I wanted to, you know, for me, since I was a little kid, it was very important to me that I got like really good grades, you know, and that really wasn't just approval of my parents. That was approval of everyone around me, 
the extended family, like everybody. So yeah, uh, it's still a problem I have where I, I think I work too much to get approval of other people, and I really want to just have that within myself, just just make myself proud of myself rather than try and get yeah. other people's approval. It's hard. And I think part of it's hard because that's a pattern I've had my whole life since I was a little kid. I wanted to get good grades to get my parents' approval, everybody else's approval. And then when you become a stand-up, you know, it's really all about external feedback. If they laugh, you're good at your job. If they don't laugh, you're not good at your job. Right. So that just reinforced my sort of um, feedback mechanism, right? And then now, move, doing more dramatic work, you realize you don't have that instant feedback. So you really, really have to trust yourself and your own instincts in a way that you don't really have to when you're getting people's feedback in real time. And so that's been the biggest adjustment for me in doing this, is the only gauge I have is, did that feel real to me? Did that feel truthful to me? And having to trust that, having to trust myself rather than what other people are telling me, it's, it's still hard. It's rewiring your brain of like how to like find happiness and contentment. Like, wait, I can't look to the audience for smile and laughter. I have to yes. find it within myself. And that's, that's a journey. That's it's, a <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a lifelong journey. I don't yeah. think, I don't know how. Does anybody here have it figured out? <laughs> anybody well, raise your hand? <laughs> we, we can get a third mic. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's something Emily and I actually talk about a lot, where she says, like, I, th I think you give power to, you give too much power to it. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you can find options that fit your budget. Because giving you options is the right thing to do. Oh, yeah, like when I hold the door for someone. Sure, it may be weird if I don't time it right, and they're a little too far away, and oh, now they're running. And we're both asking ourselves, is it worth it to run instead of just, you know, letting them open their own door? But still, it's the right thing to do. So get options based on your needs with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I don't want to harp too much on the, the physical transformation because I know you've talked very openly about how, yes, it was great and you're happy you did it and it's fantastic in many respects, but also it had some weird stuff associated with it too, given how people treated you differently in the, in the wake of it. always ask me about it, you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just getting that out of the way because people... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Know. But here's my question related to it. Because you, uh, you sign on to Eternals before th that transformation happens, yes? Yeah, like a uh, year... You know, I was signed on to Eternals months and months and months before it got announced. So I, I only me, Emily, knew about that for like eight months before the news came out. Wow. So, so I knew for a long time I was going to do that movie. Do they give you, does Marvel give you any kind of like guideline? Like, like you have to be in Chris Pratt Guardian's shape? Like do they give you a photo and be like, be like that? Like what's the... They give you a Ken doll, and they say, <laughs> we're going to check in in six months. Yeah. you got to be 80% of the way here. Yeah. Remove your genitalia like the Ken doll. <laughs> yes. My parents are here, Josh. <laughs> um, they actually, this is completely true, did not, want, they did not put any pressure on me to do anything. It completely came from me. They did not want me to, they honestly were like, we don't want you to do anything to change how you look or anything. We hired you because we hired you. We want you. So that really was just me. Honestly, I've been looking for an excuse my entire life to do something like that. 
And you know, Emily thinks I signed on to that movie just so I could do that. I mean, it's a nice byproduct, I guess. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, we actually, uh, well, actually, before we get, get to Eternals, um, let's talk a little about The Big Sick, which obviously um, changed your career in many, arguably more even than, than Eternals, I would argue. Um, yeah. This is a, a remarkable piece of work. You were, you were nominated for an Oscar. It, of course, for those that don't know, it is loosely or not so loosely based on your own experiences, Emily, and your experiences. Um, I mean, talk to me a little bit about in retrospect now. Like that is like the um, the paper of record. That is the that is the official record in a way of a very pivotal life event in your lives. Um, is that odd? And it, did that feel like a pressure at the time? Like, wait a second, this is how people are going to know our story. Well, I did feel a lot of pressure filming uh, The Big Sick because it was the first time I'd done anything that wasn't like completely 100% comedic, you know? Because yeah. Big Sick is a comedy, but there's some, there, you know, there were emotional moments in it. So I felt a lot of pressure that I put on myself because I felt like I owed um, Emily, you know, telling our story after doing a good job uh, acting in this thing. I felt like I owed Mike and Judd and the people who put in the money and all this stuff would really like bet on us to be able to do it. You know, it's a very low budget movie, but, <clears throat> you know, it's still a lot of money for just. Yeah. So I did feel I felt a lot of pressure. I kind of now that I look back on it, I feel like I was like low level panicking almost the entire shoot. There's a scene at towards the end of the movie. Emily will corroborate this. There's a scene. It's you know we've so we shot that movie in like 23 days, which is very very quick. Um, the last scene of the movie is I'm doing stand up in New York. I've moved to New York, and Emily, played by Zoe Kazan, heckles me in the audience. Right. And we have this little exchange, and that's the last scene of the movie, you know. And I really loved that scene. I really loved that ending. And so we were at Union Hall, which is a venue here in Brooklyn, um, in Park Slope, I think, where I used to perform. So it's a stage, and then on the side, uh, there's a little room with, like, a curtain, and that's the backstage. And I kind of, I was there in back, backstage on my own, and I kind of started freaking out. Like, I was like, I can't. What if I ruin the scene? This is the end of the movie. The whole movie doesn't work if I don't do the scene right. So I'm like on the phone with my acting teacher. I'm, I'm really genuinely freaking out. One of the producers came in to talk to me. I do not remember that conversation at all. But I could tell that they were like slowly escalating it. Every like, you know, two or three minutes, someone else would come like, hey, buddy, how's it going? <laughs> Send someone else in to talk to Kumail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike came. Barry, producer came. And then, you know, bringing the big guns, Emily came. And Emily said, I opened the curtain, and you were facing, you were like just looking, staring right into an oscillating fan that was an inch <laughs> from your face. I was just like staring into a fan, like this close to my face. Uh, Emily, is that right? <laughs> I, guess, I guess she went home. Um, she's back here. Uh, Emily, are you here? <laughs> Did that happen? 100%. Um, and so our fact checker Emily Gordon, everybody. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I felt that pressure, but I did not feel that pressure. I did not ever really think about. It was just pressure I put on myself. I never thought that anybody would watch that movie. I hadn't thought that far ahead. I genuinely hadn't. And we, when we were sitting at Sundance and it was going to play like the first screening. And Emily turned to me and said, this is the last time this story is going to be our story. Yeah. 
And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, right. Other people are going to watch this if things go well. Um, and I'd never, never considered that. Um, so I think if I thought of it as, you know, the, the record of that personal moment that would have been yeah, too much, yeah. I think that would have been too much to take on because already it felt like it already felt like a lot. That was the difference between that and Chippendales. I, f- I felt like I was able to really enjoy the entire process, even though it was it's a, you know you sort of a descent into darkness of this character. I really was able to enjoy the whole thing and be really present for it and learn from all the other actors I was working with. That was a big thing. It took me a long time to figure out how to do that. Um, before we move on, let's take a uh, look at a clip from The Big Sick. This is a great scene between you and, and Zoe Kazan. Okay. okay, let's take a look. So what does your mom think about you and me then? She doesn't know about me, does she? Fuck! Five fucking months of red flags. Oh my god, I'm so stupid. You ducking my parents. Oh my god, the two-day rule. Seriously, red flag after red flag. You're such a liar. You lied to me. You lied to your parents. And those are just the people you like. Is there someone that you're not lying to? I'd love to meet them, because then I could tell them what a fucking liar you are! You know what? You didn't tell me about your divorce until recently, so you were hiding fucking something, too! My divorce does not mean that our future is impossible. It actually means the direct opposite. I'm not hiding anything from you, okay? I'm an open fucking book. Do you want to know what's in my cigar box? Stickers! Stickers and stamps! Aren't you a therapist? Aren't you supposed to be good at handling this kind of- my fucking shoes?! Aren't you supposed to be, like, able to deal with this better than you are right now? I am expressing myself! You know what we call arranged marriage in Pakistan, Emily? Marriage, okay? We just call it marriage. There's another type of marriage, it's called love marriage, and that's bad. My cousin Rehan married an Irish woman, and he was kicked out of the family. Nobody is allowed to talk to him. Why didn't you tell me any of this? Because I didn't think you fucking understand, and I was fucking right! You don't think that I could fathom your life in oh, any fucking way? Oh, you think you can understand way? me? I'm fighting a 1,400-year-old culture. You were ugly in high school. There's a big fucking difference. I'm sorry. I can't lose my family. It's a very intense scene. It was intense. Is that what you're like in an argument? Is that an accurate depiction of Kumail? Emily? Emily? <laughs> Emily actually said it was hard to watch shooting that. Accurate, hear she that? says. Yep. Um, I'm in, we kind of they base it on real stuff, you know, so that there's like, we were like, how many lines can we cross in this argument? And that, you know, Emily was a practicing therapist and that thing of like, aren't, shouldn't you be handling this better? That was one of those things where you're like, oh, can't ever say that in a fight. You know, you can't, can't take that back. Um, let's not ask Emily if it ever got no. there. Um, <laughs> but I, Emily said she had a hard time watching it because she could see like, you know, your, your, like, your like fighting moves. Yeah, that was like a very intense day of shooting. That was very, uh, looking back, 
it was it was like a really hot room a hot room and um uh Zoe's so good in it, she's huh? Yeah. She's so good. Um let's talk a little more I mean I have to talk to you a little bit about some of the geek stuff. Uh let's talk a little bit about Eternals because that was such a great opportunity. You were so fantastic in that film. Um and as you said, you were training for it for basically forty years and um it must have felt amazing to be in that costume, like playing dress up on that level with Chloe Zhao. Yeah. Uh, um, did it, I guess, talk to me like the postmortem for you on that, because you know what comic book fans are like. And sure, it, it, it made a ton of money, but then there was like, it was divisive for some. Did that bum you out that it didn't get maybe the rapturous reception you wanted it to have? Sure, of course. Yeah. Um, it would have been great to not have that thing, you know, where Emily, Emily says, like, you have, to, you have to have more fuck you about all this. Like, fuck you, this is good, I love it. I love Eternals. I think it's fantastic. Um, it did bum me out that it was sort of divisive. Um, you know, I think it's a very, very... Chloe made a very, very ambitious, huge movie that's very different from most comic book movies. You know, she set up... She, she, she went for a really, really high bar. Um, of course, it would have been great if every single person on Earth loved it, but, um, but, but, but I love it. And, uh, you know, I still think at some point people are going to, like, re-watch that movie and realize that there's a lot more to it than they gave it credit for. I love Chloe. She's such a, such a great filmmaker. When you shot the film, like, because I'm always, I always, I was going to say Marvel, I'm not going to say that. When the, I, I, I'm always astounded by the actors in these films that don't know some of the surprises. Like, Zoe Saldana's talked about how she's only seen parts of scripts when she's shot films. Like, for instance, did you know Harry Styles was in the movie when you shot that movie? I started hearing rumblings of it here and there, and I thought it was bullshit. I was like, <laughs> the guy from One Direction? No way. And then you show up to work one day, and there's gorgeous Harry Styles. Hey, mate. I'm like, hey. What are you doing here, man? Um, we actually shot a different scene with Harry Styles, because the ending now, um, my character's not in that scene, but we shot a version uh, where I was with him, and it was a very, it was a, a different sort of uh, post-credit sequence. What was the dynamic between Kingo and, and Harry's character? We we didn't, I we don't really, we didn't really talk. Okay. We just sort of like made eyes at each other from afar. <laughs> uh, no, it was it was sort of. I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. You're in it now, man. It's too late. <laughs> You're gonna get me in trouble. Um, no, it was a completely different, completely different. How many people saw Eternals? This is another. Oh wow, most people saw yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Um, and as of this now, uh, now, you know nothing about the future. You have, do, you, do you, like, make appeals like, hey, Kevin, this would, you're, you're a writer. Like, you're a, you know comics. You're a screenwriter. You could make a pitch and say, here's what I think my character should do next. I haven't done it. I should have done it. Um, I genuinely do not know um, if, if uh, my character is going to come back at all. I would love to come back and do it, but I genuinely, genuinely genuinely don't know i believe you yeah it sucks <laughs> i would love to go back and do it again um i i felt like i lived vicariously through you when i saw you in obi-wan it was just amazing to see you in that world uh almost a jedi so close to being a so jedi. so close to being a jedi 
<laughs> but you, you kind of have the best of all possible worlds in a way. You, you get to kind of act like a Jedi, and then you get to have a little fun. That's yeah. Like, Jedis don't, can't have fun. That's Yeah, but limits. what if I was a real Jedi who also had fun? Why couldn't I be that? <laughs> Why did I have to be a liar? Right. Um, what was yeah. it, give me a sense. Being on set, not only just being on a Star Wars set, but being in the Jedi robes opposite you and frickin' McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, it's really, really overwhelming. Every single moment of that, I sort of had to, like... You know, like, we were talking about the big sick. If you realize what the responsibility is, it sort of paralyzes you. And that's how this was. I had to, you know, I wore the Jedi robes the first time. In a mirror, took a secret picture. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to do that. Sent it to Emily. And then you have to forget that you're wearing Jedi robes. You just have to be like, oh, this is just a random scene I'm doing. But it really feels like fucking Star Wars in here. <laughs> like, everybody's got sabers and blasters. It becomes very hard to ignore, you know? And I remember I, I, my first scene, uh, actually my second scene, it was the same day. I shot a scene and then my second scene was with Obi-Wan, was with Ewan McGregor. And I'd hung out with him, like, you know, back there and talked to him. And he was really great and cool. And they yelled action and he walks up to me and he starts talking. And he does the Obi-Wan voice. And that was when I was like, oh, this is impossible to ignore. <laughs> This is my greatest acting challenge. I have to play it cool opposite you and as Obi-Wan. This is Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of, so I kind of tried to use it, you know, where once he finds out that he's a real Jedi, that it's Obi-Wan, he's sort of a little bit in love with him, sort of like really looks up to him, is, is really intimidated by him. And that was all stuff that came very naturally to me. <laughs> Not much acting required. So you probably have a few action figures by now. Does yes from the Star Wars and Marvel universe? You don't have a Star Wars one yet. Yeah, I don't know. You will. I mean, they've they've made every, as you well know, every single character that's ever appeared. Yeah, it's like that guy in the background with like a flute face has <laughs> has an action figure, and I don't. Yeah, I have lines. I'm in multiple episodes. Well, uh, that hasn't happened yet, but I do have a Eternals action figure, and I have Lego of a few things. <laughs> <laughs> Funkos, Agor, I'm sure. I, I have, I've got a lot of Funkos, yeah. <laughs> and I, I have all of them, yeah. That's, but I always, you know, wanted an action figure, so it's great. Like, my, my Eternals action figure really looks like me. It's awesome. Um, so uh, have you ever, look, you, you, you co-wrote Big Sick. Have you ever taken a stab at, like, a genre property as a, a, in terms of writing? Like, have you, I could see you writing a Marvel or Star Wars property. Like, that doesn't seem in congruous with who you are and your skill set. Oh, thank you. Um, haven't done that. Emily and I have a script we wrote that's a sci-fi movie. That's, that's something we came up with. It's not, a, uh, it's not an existing IP, but it is sci-fi, and we've sold it. We hopefully get to make it. We're sort of waiting to hear. Um, and then we have another thing we adapted. And Do you know who Edward Gorey is? I do, yes. He's a, a cartoonist. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. makes these really awesome, cool, dark... Uh, so he has this like story that's only nine pages long with like no dialogue, and Emily and I have adapted that. Uh, and again, we're we're hoping to to get that made, but we haven't done anything like that's Star Wars or Marvel or DC or anything big like that. I'd love to, but I'd love to tackle something. You know, do you know DC Comics? I mean, broad strokes, but do you know who you Ambush Bug is? Nope. Okay, well, I want to do an Ambush Bug movie. What, tell me more about Ambush Bug. Why? He, he's like this news reporter guy. He's weird. He's just like, it's because there's no pressure on it, you know? 
you don't know. If I do Superman, everybody's got a different idea of right. Superman. If it doesn't match up, they're upset. Ambush Bug, nobody cares about. Someone out there would yeah. be pissed if you screw I'll, up yeah. Ambush Bug. And that guy will be really scary. <laughs> Is this a vehicle for you? Are you Ambush Bug? No. <laughs> no. It's CG. He looks like a monster. Oh, I see. I don't want to be in that suit. <laughs> <laughs> but I am actually, I just did sign on to play another superhero. Stop it. I did. I'm playing Dolphin Man. <laughs> That's an inside joke. That's amazing. <laughs> Props to Mike uh, Ryan, a mutual friend. A mutual friend yeah. of ours said, mention <laughs> Dolphin Man on stage and only he will laugh. It'll be funny because of how awkward it'll be. I, I'm so sorry to what all of you. What is the joke? Were, I don't even know it. I think we were just talking about just like how absurd superheroes are. Like there is an ambush bug and there should be a Dolphin Man and it's wasted on Everybody, and I apologize. <laughs> um, where in the stack of accomplishments does appearing on the X-Files stand in your oh, resume? Pretty high, pretty high. Again, you know, you try, and uh, X-Files is my favorite show of all time, and I got to do an episode of it with my favorite writer of the X-Files. And again, I was like, this is just a job. I, I can't, I, I'm just acting job, do it. And when I got to Vancouver where we were shooting, the driver came and gave me a folder uh, for like all the information about, uh, you know, my hotel and all that. And it had the, um, the truth is out there on it. And that's when I started freaking out. And I called Emily and I was like, Emily, talk me down. I don't think I could do this. <laughs> and then again, I need my an oscillating fan to stick my head into. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where is the oscillating fan? Um, <laughs> And the first scene was with Mulder and Scully. Again, that was really terrifying. But, you know, I do have a regret about that. I felt like um, I wish I could do that again because I, I love, you know, hanging out with those two and it was great. But I felt like my performance in that specifically, I felt like I was too scared and I was too rigid. And I was, like, stuck in my preparation for it. Right. Like... You, I've learned to forget everything and just sort of be in the moment. And with that, I think I was just trying to recreate some version of the scene that I had um, prepared, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I do, I, it's such a great episode. Reese Darby's in it and he's so good in it. I just wish I was, honestly, I wish I, I, I'd done a better job. Uh, Let's look at the clip. No, I don't have the clip. No, <laughs> I mean, nobody would maybe even be able to tell, but I just know that I felt when I was shooting it, I didn't feel, you know, fluid. What should they do with the X-Files at this point? They keep trying to bring it back. And yeah, like... put me in it. <laughs> I'll fix it. Does, is it no. Mulder and Scully dependent? Because they're so key to it. What would you do if you were given the reins to the X-Files? I would be Mulder. <laughs> and Jillian Anderson would be Scully. <laughs> David Duchovny can go fuck himself. Um, I, I think that there's more X-Files possible. I mean, those two are such the DNA of it, you know, and I think their, their chemistry was so magical. And that thing of, like, the believer and the non-believer. But they're both interested. The, the characters are so interesting because she's a believer about some things and not about others. So she's very religious. She has faith. But her faith means she doesn't have. Uh, but but her faith in science means she doesn't believe all the stuff that he believes, and he's not a religious person at all. So he has no faith there. But then he has faith in the existence of aliens. So it's such a weird crisscross of it. But it's those two that really, you know, bring that. Their chemistry is so good. So I think anything that you do with X Files has such a high bar to to leap over. I don't know if those two want to do it again. 
talking about High Bar. I know you and Emily do the uh, Lord of the Rings rewatch every holiday yeah, season. Yeah, we're about to start. Are you? Yeah, <laughs> we are. Extended edition or bust? Of course. I'm just checking. That's okay. the only version that exists. <laughs> well, not technically, that's not true, actually. Please. Okay. I, I honestly, like, I think the extended edition is shit on the theatrical. <laughs> I mean, I love the theatrical, but you got to watch the whole thing. Right. I mean, if you don't want Faramir's whole story with, with Theoden and Boromir, if you don't want it, uh, wow. <laughs> and that's when he lost the audience. I feel like I'm speaking in Urdu. <laughs> Where are you at on The Hobbit, The Hobbit films? Um, I, 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 we don't rewatch them every year. Okay, but you're, you're okay, but they're, they are what they are. Okay. I love the Rings of Power, the new That's series. what I was going to ask. You, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. What a challenge for them to figure that out. I mean, that's crazy. I think they really did a great job. Yeah. I think those actors are so good. If you guys are Lord of the Rings people and you haven't seen the Rings of Power on Amazon, go watch it. It's so good. I, I, I talk about, I, you know, because that and Game of Thrones were on at the same time. Uh, the House of the Dragon, I loved them both, but they were so different because oh, yeah. the Rings of Power was so pure. Like, it'll have a long conversation with two grown men deciding how they can be better friends to each other. <laughs> and then House of the Dragon is like, should I marry this 12-year-old? <laughs> It'd be so good for the houses, you know, and we, we get all her ships. That'd be great for trade. That's the difference between those two shows. I loved them both. Is there, <laughs> um, is there a stand-up set in that body now? Like, is there, if, if someone said, you've got 20 minutes... Right now? I'm not going to make you do... I mean, if you want to, you can, but... I would have to do... I would have to talk to people and do crowd work. I feel comfortable enough on stage to do that, but I don't have material to go to. I haven't written stand-up in, like, over two years. So is that, is that something you think you'll return to, or does it feel like you're... You don't need... It doesn't fulfill the need it did, it, that it once did. That is true. So there's two, I guess, two answers to it. You know, once I started being able to act, getting opportunities to act and write and stuff, that was so creatively fulfilling and also exhausting that I didn't also want to go out at night uh, and, like, perform till midnight. You know, I like being home with Emily and yeah. watching movies and playing video games because I do feel creatively very fulfilled. However... The juice that you get from doing stand-up when it's going well, there's really nothing like it. It's so exciting. Um, but I haven't, I haven't really, it, you know, it's the thing that like falls away if you, if you get cast in something because that's such a, on a schedule. So I think I won't be able to do it next year. So I want to go back to it, but it's going to be a while. It may be, you know, 2024 at the earliest. I have a potential job proposition for you, okay? Yes. I'm, I'm Mr. Academy Awards. I'm calling up Kumail Nanjiani. Are you interested in hosting our show? Again, very few people have the skill set. What's your show? The Academy Awards? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't set or that up. Or are you like putting together another show? Let we have an open mic in the back of a bar. No. Let me start over. Let Meryl me Streep will be there. <laughs> Let me rephrase. Kumail, do you have any interest in ever hosting the Academy Awards? Yes. I would love to host the Academy Awards. I used to watch with my dad. Like we, I watched Academy Awards my entire life. There were some years I watched over and over the, the year that Dances with Wolves won. Yes. <laughs> I watched it over and over. I know random movies. There's a movie called Milagro Beanfield War yeah. that was nominated for an Academy Award at one point. Robert I, Redford I, directed it. Huh? Did he? Yeah. 
I've watched I've I've watched the Academy Awards my entire life, and I honestly I would I would love to I would love to host. It's just interesting because I hear a lot of people say like it's a no win proposition. You've seen like some of the best ever, like Letterman, who frankly I thought way back when did a decent job hosting. I will yeah, say, yeah, he did great. Um, but it's it's hard to please the. Masses. They do say there's no way to win doing it, but there's two different things, right? There are things you do for your career and there's things you do for you. Yeah. There's things you do for like, would I be able to look at 12-year-old me and be like, I didn't want to host the Academy Awards. <laughs> Mr. Academy Awards himself asked me and I said no. <laughs> would I be able to say that to that kid? Right. No. Right. So I would have to do it even if it like hurts my career for three years yeah. just to be able to be like, hey, I hosted the Academy Awards. <laughs> I like how you really went there. You were looking at 12-year-old self. I really you saw were... myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my, I, I saw what my 12-year-old self was saying, which was, what are you doing here, weird man? <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of my house. <laughs> Milagro Beanfield War is on. <laughs> Very unique taste. Yeah. Very unique. Yeah. Um, I think we have some audience questions. Can I grab the audience questions? And while that comes out, um, thank you. Uh, I asked you for a comfort movie. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. I'm always yes. curious what people consider their comfort movies. Yeah. And you you went with a, a 90s classic. Yes. What did you choose? Four Weddings and a Funeral. Right. Tell it's us. A, yeah. It's an absolutely amazing movie. Hugh Grant is amazing in it. Um, Emily and I, when we first when we first got married, like our marriage license, we went and we 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 got it at a in Chicago at like the um, courthouse, you know. Mm-hmm. And then that day, we came home and watched Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, I've just seen that movie so, so, so many times. Um, I know every line of that movie. Um, it just makes me feel great. Do, do you appreciate now, having been in the business and acted as much as you have, like how Hugh Grant makes it look so easy? Like that's... Yes, making it look that easy takes a lot of work. It's really hard. And honestly... When I first started doing stand-up, now when I look back at it, I was doing my a Hugh Grant impression for the first five or six years. I really was. I was sort of like, uh, like I was like, I couldn't finish a sentence. Like it was like my own terrible impression of Hugh Grant. I realized years later. So if it wasn't for four weddings and a funeral, I wouldn't have been a stand-up. Amazing. Um, is there an actor like whether it's a Hugh Grant or, or, or someone like him of that ilk or moder- or someone that's just coming up now that would be hard to pass on the opportunity to act against just simply based on their name, simply based on what they bring to the table and just the prospect of being in a scene with them? Oh, I mean, you mean like a legendary act? It doesn't have to be. I'm saying like, it could be Tom Hardy. It could be Timothy Chalamet. I don't know. It, just, it could be whatever. Huh. I mean, I would love to work with either of those okay, two. We'll make that happen. Okay. Um, I do know Timothy Chalamet a little bit. You do? Yeah, I, do you I've know? never met. I've never met Tom Hardy. I feel like you two would get along. Me, me and Tom Hardy? Yeah, I've always thought that you're cut from the same cloth. <laughs> What's? Why is that funny? <laughs> no. Why I couldn't don't... you even finish that <laughs> sentence? No, it's more a compliment to you, and I don't want. Oh, to Oh, here you go. No. Let's see you wriggle out of this one. He. He's Horowitz. A, you're, you're so affable and easy uh-huh. to talk to. And Tom is, is a little removed. I mean, he's so talented. I'm not yeah. going to make eye contact with you. I'm just going to keep talking yeah. until you interject. Help me. Let's go to an audience question. I'm not going to be the one to help you here. <laughs> Let me think. Who would it be? Um, who would? Yeah, I want to go back to Timmy. How do you know Timothy Chalamet? What do you guys do for fun together? <laughs> uh, nothing. Um, <laughs> 
But we would, when Big Sick and Call Me By Your Name came out around the same time, Got so it. we were sort of doing the festival thing, and we would, like, run into each other and, and hang out. He, he's awesome. Uh, who would I love to act with? Uh, I mean, Hugh Grant, I'd love to do. Yeah. I would love to act with Hugh Grant. Yeah, I think yeah. he's, he's, like, done such great work recently. Have you seen the uh, Paddington movies? He's so, he's so good in it. I, I, yes. There's another surprise cameo. You just, we just were talking about a movie backstage that's coming out soon. You, you'll see Hugh Grant in. Remember the movie we just saw in L.A.? Which one? I saw you in L.A. We talked about it backstage. There's a great movie. It's a mysterious movie. Mysterious movie? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yes. Great movie. <laughs> Glass Onion is a great movie. Why are we ruining the cameo now? <laughs> we do have that. Now we do have to edit the, the podcast. Do we? I guess we'll have to. Okay. All right. Sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> it is a great movie. Yes, that's a great movie. All right. Some uh, audience questions. Um, we talked about this a little bit, but uh, let's elaborate. How has your role in Chippendales expanded your acting skill repertoire in dramatic roles? Like, what do you feel like you can are able to do now coming off of this that you would feel more confident in doing? Um, it's just, I think, a lot of stuff. It's hard to it's hard to articulate. There was a script uh, uh, that I read right before Chippendales. It's a movie that I'm going to do now. I'm going to do it next year. And when I read it, I was like, the script is so good. I have to do it. However, there are all these like scenes in the script that I'm really intimidated by. I have to figure out how to do them. And then I read the script again after doing Chippendales. And I wasn't intimidated by any of those scenes, which is really, it's a really wonderful feeling. Um, I think I've gotten a little bit better at not being so rigid about what I think a scene should be. You know, sometimes you like try and recreate it and choke the life out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've gotten a little bit better at just trusting myself and going wherever the scene is going. I think I've gotten better at really reacting to the other other characters. And, you know, I learned so much from working with the actors in this. Um, you guys saw You guys saw Murray... Um, but, you know, in the next episode, Juliette Lewis come, shows up, Annalie Ashford shows up, and, the, you know, um, uh, Robin de Jesus, Andrew Reynolds, and these are like the best actors I've ever worked with. Yeah. And I learned so much from, from, from doing this with them, you know. Um, honestly, I, I, I really, I was scared to do Chippendales, and now I honestly can't wait to do the next thing that scares me. It's huge. To, uh, being an EP change the way you approach the show. You and Emily are executive producers on the show. Yeah. Um, how does that manifest? Like, how, how much are you involved in casting, the whole process? Like, what, what was it like? Yeah, and Rob, who's the creator of the show, was very, very collaborative and very kind, so we got to be involved in every stage of the process with casting, you know. I was, I was there in some of the auditions, reading with some of the other, some of the other actors, and then for me, the most fun part of it, and he was also very, you know, he would ask me questions about the character, um, whether Steve would react a certain way or not. I had certain things that I was like, I think we should put in a thing where Steve does this, and he was, he was fantastic about that. And then I love being involved in editing. That's, like, my favorite part of the process. So being able to, like, have input in that. And Rob, you know, Rob is also very good at editing, and Jenny Connor, uh, one of our other showrunners, so... Uh, she was sort of, I think she took the lead during the edit because we had to edit as we were shooting. But to me, editing is my is my favorite part of it. So that, and, you know, watching 
editing, I think, makes me better at acting, and it makes you better at writing. I think because you see what works, what doesn't, that kind of stuff, you know. Because sometimes you'll... This happened in Big Sick while we were editing. I was like, oh, let's pick... There's one take where I was like, oh, I really felt it during that take. Let's use it. And then I watched it. It felt like too much. And then the take where I just said the words was way better and way more present. So, like, you get those kinds of lessons, you know, that sometimes just being there and just saying it is way better than trying to conjure up emotion, you know. I've heard that story so much from actors talking about some of the greatest actors on the planet where they're like, it didn't seem like that guy was doing anything on set. And then you see the finished product, it's like, it's all, it's enough, it's all there. So much going on, you know. That's how Martin Starr is. He was in Silicon Valley. And because he's so subtle, you sort of act with him. And it feels like there's like, he's, he's just so like inside of himself. But right. then you watch him on, on screen and there's just so much going on. He's always thinking. Uh, Allison has an excellent question. Do you prefer Steve's business suits or Kingo's super suit in The Eternals? Which wardrobe would you rather? Like to just go to Starbucks? Yeah, just your oh, day-to-day. Kingo's super suit? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a single situation where that wouldn't trump the horrible suits I wear on this show. By the way, those suits are amazing for the character. Peggy Schnitzer was our um, uh, costume designer. And when I walked out of my first fitting, was the first time I really felt like Steve. The suit, the glasses. The suit, the glasses, the hair, you know, all that. Um, Yeah, the super suit is awesome. I love that you talked about, Steve, I heard you in another conversation, this is so you, comparing the way you moved to RoboCop. Yes. He is. He's only slightly... (laughs) Now now I can't unsee that. Slightly less cool than RoboCop. (laughs) But, you know, yeah. And I didn't realize it until a little bit, little bit into it, before I started shooting, where I was like, how should he... And I was like, oh, it's RoboCop. He's like RoboCop. Right. Yeah. I think it's just uncomfortable in his own skin, just rigid. Exactly, right? just... exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's Robocop before Robocop has like the thing to take this half mask off. Right. Looks terrible without it. Put that thing back on. <laughs> I mean, don't tempt me with 45 minutes of a discussion about Robocop, because I will go there. <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest movies ever made. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite memory from filming? From any filming? Uh, let's talk, I think they mean Welcome uh, to Chippendales. Oh, Welcome to Chippendales. Yeah. Um, you know, towards the end of it, uh, episode eight, actually, there's a scene, there's a long 15-page scene that Rob wrote that's absolutely amazing, but it's really me and uh, Robin De Jesus, who plays Ray, who you haven't met yet. It's just the two of us in a hotel room talking for 15 minutes, but there's so much movement in that scene. So much happens. It's so up and down. It's so intense. We shot one scene over three days. Um, it really felt like I was in the soup, you know, like you go home, you sleep, you wake up, you go back, you continue that scene. It was just so exciting and fun. It really felt, you know, like every part of my body was in that scene for three full days. So that feeling, I think, was really, really exciting to really, like, live that, you know, um, and to really sort of... And he's such a good actor, and Richard Shepard directed those, that episode, and he was so good at um, just finding shape to that scene. So I, I've never done anything like that. You know, usually you show, shoot four scenes a day, but to shoot one scene for three days, uh, there's nothing like it. So... Um we talked about manifesting stuff a few years ago. What have we done here today? We manif- You're going to host the Oscars in the next five years, apparently. Yeah, sure. I would love that. If that happens, oh, my God. 
I'm going to send you a fruit basket. You know the things where the fruits look like flowers? Uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Like a fruit bouquet? Wow, this is all worth it. <laughs> what is it called? Edible arrangement. There it is. You're going to, all of you, you will get you, a you, fruit basket. You get an edible arrangement. You get. <laughs> if I host the Oscars in the next five years. Um, honestly, congratulations on the show. It's, 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 as you all can attest, I mean, it, it only gets richer and more. It's, it's an un- unpredictable story, and it will suck you in if it hasn't already. Uh, spread the good word of welcome to Chippendales, and let's give a, one more big round of applause to our guest today. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for having And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. Marcus, what happened? I was changing my oil and I spilled some on the floor. Oh, we'll use these $50 bills to wipe it up. Perfect. Got any more? Yeah, yeah, take a couple hundred. Stop. Instead of using money, use an old rag. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary.